And so to begin with today, we have a sports analogy. I know not everybody's into sports, but it's a, it's a good analogy. And if you're in the sports, you know, uh, arguably, and I stress arguably, because there's always debate about who's the best and who's the greatest, but, but arguably, if you know sports, you're going to know the answer to this, arguably, what do Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, and Babe Ruth all have in common? They're all stars, yes, but even more than all stars, they are the greatest of all time. They are the GOAT. They are the greatest of all time. These guys did everything right in their perspective sports. They did everything well. These guys were the guys that everybody wanted on their team. And I'm speaking to this side of the room because if Tom Brady, not, not Aaron Rodgers, if, if Tom Brady was on the Browns, what, what could the Brown? We could go to the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, right? We, the Browns could have Tom Brady. We can bring him back out of retirement. We could go to the Super Bowl next year, right? I mean, Tom Brady, he's, he's the GOAT when it comes to football. But you know, the Browns could have had Tom Brady on their team. Tom Brady was a sixth round draft pick. Six times the Browns could have had Tom Brady on their team. Tom Brady was the 199th draft pick. 198 times Tom Brady was overlooked. His greatness as the GOAT was overlooked 198 times. Interestingly enough, so was Michael Jordan's greatness. Michael Jordan didn't make the varsity team his sophomore year of high school. He's Michael Jordan. He changed basketball, right? He's Michael. He didn't make the varsity team his sophomore year of high school. Wayne Gretzky and Babe Ruth were both traded. The owner said, I, I want somebody else. I'm going I'm to trade you. The, his, their greatness was, was overlooked. And it's so easy in hindsight to see, to see these guys are the best of the best, do everything well. But at certain points of their career, the, their greatness was overlooked. If we think about our own life, how many times do we overlook something of value in our own life, Right? How many times do we have something of value and we don't even realize how valuable it is? My dad, as I've said many times, is an American picker. He lives for this stuff, to go into somebody's house or a garage sale and to see something of value for a quarter and to sell it for $500. Like, they didn't know what they had, right? How many times in our life do we have something of value and we don't even know that it's that valuable and we, we overlook it? How many times in life do we have a moment of time that's so precious, so valuable, so amazing, and we don't even know how precious, how significant that time is? I don't know, I don't know who I shared this with, but I've shared it to somebody, but I'll share it, share it again if you, if you already heard it. But I was listening to a, a, a teaching on, on parenting, and they, they were talking about how this, this dad was in the mall. And they had a little girl there wanting to be held by, by their dad, and uh, we still have a young one, Canaan. Uh, he always wants to be held. He, he doesn't actually like to walk on his own two feet. It's like everywhere he goes, Daddy, I, don't, I can't walk anymore. I'm like, son, you got two feet. You're going to hoof it. You're going to walk. And, and, and Tasha has to pick him up. And I'm like, oh, i got to pick him up. Uh, and so, but he always wants to be held. And it's, it's so frustrating. I've already held three of them at that age. I don't want to hold a fourth one. It's like, just walk. But I was listening to this, this, this teaching on parenting. It just cut me to the heart 
because the, the, the dad had kids that were older at that point, and he says, I wish somebody would have told me the last time my daughter wanted to be held. He was at the mall, and he saw that situation happen where the, the kid wanted to be held. We had a moment in time that we didn't even realize that how precious that moment really was. And today I want to I tell you, we need a movement today, church. I want to talk about a movement. A movement is a big deal. I want to talk about a movement from overlooking the power of God to overcoming by the power of God. Because I want to tell you, in our life, in our normal walk with God, we, we overlook the power of God in our life all the time. We overlook God's power, the significance of having God close to us. We overlook the significance that God is with you. He's not just with us corporately. He's not just with the world. God says he's with you. He lives in you. We overlook the significance and the power of having God with, walk with us and talk with us every single day of our life. We just get so busy. We get so overwhelmed. We get, our day just gets filled up. We want to do more and more. And we look, overlook the significance that God is right beside us, walking with us, speaking with us, wanting our attention. And we just overlook it time and time again. And I want to tell you, we need a movement. We need to move past overlooking and to move into overcoming and recognizing the power of God in our life. We overlook the, the significance of the cross and the resurrection, that we have victory, church. We have victory because Jesus resurrected from the grave. And one day the same power that raised Christ from the grave will one day raise us from the grave. We have victory, church, and we overlook it. We don't recognize the significance that Jesus died to save us. Not just to give us a better life now or help us be a better dad now or a better, better employee. Jesus died to save us, to give us an eternity in heaven. And we overlook it. We overlook the significance of God's love. We overlook the peace, the joy, the fulfillment that comes from a relationship with God. We overlook the fact that when God is in the room, when God is with us, we win. We win every time God is with us. We win and today we're talking about moving from overlooking to overcoming. And we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing our series. I've loved traveling through the book of Mark with you. We're in chapter 7 and verse 31. If you want to turn there, Mark chapter 7 and verse 31. Just a short scripture today, so I want to encourage you not to daydream, but to really dive into the scripture this morning. It says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. And there were some people that brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on the man. And we're going to pause there for just one, one second. It says, there were some people who cared enough about this man who was deaf and mute to bring him to Jesus. This isn't the main point of the scripture, but I don't, we can't pass this over. That there are some people in our life that need some help getting close to Jesus. There are some people in our, our life that we need to pick them up and drag them to church no matter how we need to get them here, right? There are some people where you need to just begin to, to just help them get closer to Jesus no matter what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm just telling you, it's a very strong point in this message. There were some people that brought this man to Jesus, and they didn't bring him to Jesus. He wasn't getting the healing that he needed. There were some people that need some help getting close to Jesus. There were some young people in your life that need some help getting close to Jesus. There were some friends, some neighbors, some co-workers that need some help getting close to Jesus. Let's keep going here. 
So they begged him to, to place his hand on the man. And after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Apathia, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speaks. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you bless the reading of the word today. God, we pray that you would let it sink into our hearts. God, let it have the, the top seat in our life. God, let your voice just be, be heard in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, because this is such a short text, we're going to kind of be jumping all over uh, these verses today. And I want to start out just talking about the miracle itself. The first thing I want to draw your attention about this miracle is that Jesus is winning. Jesus is winning. Wherever Jesus goes, Jesus wins. Jesus has no rival. He has no equal. Wherever Jesus steps, wherever God's presence is, Jesus wins. Meaning if God's presence is in our life, if God's presence is with us, then we win. Because wherever Jesus goes, Jesus wins. And even when circumstances might say otherwise, God's plan of winning is unstoppable. In fact, Kirk Cameron made a whole movie called Unstoppable. And the whole point of this movie is that even when circumstances tell us God's not winning, he's actually winning. God's plans are unstoppable. Whatever God decides to do, it's unstoppable. His plan, he wins every time. Wherever God is, God wins. And he's winning here. Darkness is having to flee. Jesus opened this man's ears that he could hear. We take it for granted, the gift of hearing, right? But this man could not hear anything. He was deaf. And Jesus spoke these words, be open. And all of a sudden his ears are open. He can hear for the first time. And not only can he hear, but he can speak. You know, my sister is a, a speech pathologist. I think somebody else in the church is going to be studying to go into speech pathology possibly. And my sister has a job because it's a, it's a process to learn how to speak again. When you have a stroke or a kid has a speech impediment, it's a process to, to learn how to speak again. But Jesus just says, be opened. And automatically this man starts to speak. Automatically he speaks eloquently. He's, he's, he's speaking. He's, he's able to hear and he's able to. Jesus is winning. Darkness is fleeing. The world is as it should be because Jesus is on this scene and he's, he's winning. And everyone knows he's winning. The disciples know that Jesus is winning. They're like, yeah, Jesus. I love watching The Chosen. And there's a part in The Chosen where, where Jesus casts out a demon. And John the Baptist is like, yeah. And the disciples are like, yeah, go Jesus. Yes, God. He's winning. The people around that see the miracle, they know Jesus is winning. The world is as it should be. Jesus is on the scene. The Pharisees know that Jesus is winning. They don't like it because Jesus doesn't value the same things the Pharisees value. And so, so they're plotting against him. The Pharisees, but they know that he's winning. The enemy knows that Jesus is winning. That's why he fights so hard against the church because he knows that Jesus wins wherever he's at, wherever he's exalted, that Jesus wins. So the enemy fights against us so that we don't exalt the name of the Lord. People are getting healed. They know Jesus is winning. Jesus is winning so much that he cannot even escape the crowds. 
The reason that the geography is at the beginning of our text is because Jesus went from a city to the country. He went from Youngstown to Lake Milton because he's trying to get away. But even when he comes to Lake Milton, we're like, yes, Jesus, we want you. You're winning. And so he can't even get away from the crowds because he's winning so much. If I said enough this morning, Jesus is winning. It's the first point of this message. I want to draw your attention to verse 37. It's the key section of scripture here. Verse 37 tells us the people were overwhelmed with amazement. The people were overwhelmed with amazement. Let's not de-emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. The Bible says they were overwhelmed with amazement. You know, I'm a man and I'm amazed by a lot of things. I, we got rid of uh, some of our cable subscriptions and uh, just watching uh, the main uh, channels, I guess. And there's not much on all the time. There's normally not anything on. And one of the shows that's halfway decent is called uh, The Fool Me. That's the, the magic show where they, they do illusions. And um, I'm like, how did they do that? How, 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 ah, it my mind. Like, how did they do that? I'm amazed. We were at Lake Erie for our, our church retreat, and I, I saw Lake Erie just drive. I wasn't even at the church retreat yet. We just got the first glimpse of Lake Erie, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, look at that massive body of water. I was amazed. And Tasha's, Tasha's like, Nathan, you've seen Lake Erie before. Like, you have a boat. Like, you go out on Lake I'm like, this is amazing. This is awesome. I'm easily amazed. It doesn't just say they were amazed. It says they were overwhelmed with amazement because Jesus is winning. And they say something very, it's a loaded statement here that if, that if, you, don't, if you don't pay attention, we don't know what it means. But they said Jesus is doing everything well. That Jesus is doing everything well. Now here's why it's a loaded statement. Let me illustrate this. When we say that Wayne Gretzky did everything well, we're not saying he, had a, like, he did his marriage well and he did his finances well. If you want financial advice, go to me. No, when we say Wayne Gretzky did everything, we're talking about his hockey career. When we say Tom Brady did everything well, we're talking about his seven Super Bowl championships, you Green Bay fans, seven Super Bowl champions and, and five MVPs. We're talking about football. I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, good comeback, yes, yeah, yeah, good comeback. But when we're talking about Babe Ruth, we're talking about his home runs. Right? When we talk about these guys, we're just talking about their individual sports. But when they say Jesus did everything, well, there's a context to it. They're talking about Jesus being the Messiah. They're saying, this, this, is the, this could be the Messiah. They're not just saying he's a great human being, he does everything well. No, they're saying he does everything well like the Messiah. So why can't he be more like Jesus? He's a great, exceptional human. No, he's saying they're there. he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the King. He does everything well. What more could the Messiah do than what Jesus is doing? He even opens the ears of the deaf and causes the mute to speak. They're giving evidence. They're saying Jesus might just be the Messiah. He's doing everything well. The context here is the Messiah. My point in emphasizing this fact is that the people had all the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the King, right in front of them. But church, how easy it is for us to have all the evidence right in front of us and still overlook the significance that Jesus, the Son of God, that he loves and is with you. To have all the evidence. Jamie Goodwin, when he was, 
almost said Goodrich, <laughs> Jamie Goodlett, when he was here, he says, we have an embarrassingly large amount of, I love that word, embarrassingly large amount of evidence that what Jesus said and what the disciples wrote are the exact words that we have in our Bibles today. I would expand that. We have an embarrassingly large amount of evidence that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus loves you, but yet we can have all of this evidence that says Jesus loves you and Jesus is God, and yet we can still overlook the fact that he is with us and for us, and his power is at work in our life. Jesus even says in John 10, if you don't believe me, at least believe the evidence. At least believe this enormously large, embarrassingly large amount of evidence that Jesus loves you. And the problem we're addressing today is that there is a difference between Jesus being possibly the Messiah and most likely the Messiah, and the evidence points to Jesus being the Messiah and choosing for yourself to make Jesus your Messiah. And choosing for yourself to make Jesus your Lord. And choosing for yourself to make Jesus your King. Most of the world will say, hey, all the evidence points to Jesus being the Messiah, but very few will say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Messiah. Jesus' word is above every other word. And Jesus is a possible Messiah, a possible king or creator. The invitation is to come and see. It's to come and see. It's a great invitation. We talked about this at church retreat a little bit about discipleship. The discipleship is the process of invitation and challenge. And the invitation is to come and see. Jesus gives this invitation to every single one of us. Come and see. He gives it to the whole world. He, he makes it known. Come and see. Jesus is the Messiah. Come and see. But once you've seen, once you know this enormously embarrassing large amount of evidence, the invitation, the challenge then becomes come and be. It goes from come and see to come and be. Come and overcome. Come and win the spiritual battle. Come and be be when come and come and be part of this the family of god when jesus moves from being a possible savior possible king to being our king it changes everything it's a movement come and see becomes come and be come and win the spiritual battle come and be free come and be open come and live and all this takes place it's not just when jesus becomes a savior it becomes our savior our messiah our king here's the challenge to this, between come and see and come and be. When Jesus is our Messiah, when Jesus is our Savior, when Jesus is our King, it means that Jesus' word is the top word. That Jesus is my King. I'm not my King anymore. I'm not the ruler of my own household anymore. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. That Jesus gets exalted to the highest place in my life. And that's not always the easiest decision to make. That's not always the easiest thing to, to take ourself off of, of the throne of our life and say, God, your voice is higher than my voice. You are the king. You are the Lord. And what I want to tell you is that we overlook the power of having Jesus be the king of our life because we get tempted to make ourselves the king and we miss out on the blessing because we've taken Jesus off of his throne and we put ourselves on the throne and we miss the blessing of Jesus making our past straight. Now, I'll tell you, I like a lot of passages. There's amazing passages in the Bible. There's one passage that is my absolute favorite. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
Think about that. I want to lean on my own understanding because I think I'm an intelligent being. I, I, I'm logical. I think, I, I think through things. And I want to lean. But it says don't lean on your own in everything. In all of your ways, submit to him. That because Jesus is king, he gets exalted to the highest place of our life. And he says once you do that, he'll make your paths straight. Once Jesus is exalted to the highest place in our life, he makes our paths straight. He makes our paths blessed. He makes our paths holy. We're walking in the very will of God because we're putting Jesus' voice, we're exalting him to the highest place in our life. My prayer this week is that Jesus would be exalted to the highest place of not only my life, but of our church, of our city, of, of your life. That Jesus would be exalted. You know, the other day when we were, it was the week we were getting ready for the Fear is a Liar sermon. And I was just realizing how many voices are in my life. How many voices are trying to get my attention. And I, I was just in my office just praying, Jesus. Be exalted to the highest place in my life. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Keep fear far from me. Keep all these things, all these other voices. God, Jesus, you be exalted to the highest place of my life. That's why I said this message is on my heart because it's real. It's, it's where every Christian should be. That Jesus, you be exalted because you win. You win in everything you do. All your thoughts are righteous. All your thoughts are good. They lead to winning. I don't want any other voice being the top voice but yours, Jesus, because you win. Everywhere you go, you win. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus, be exalted to the highest place of my life. But I started to think even deeper. Jesus, what does this mean? What does this actually look like that you're the highest voice in my life? And we're short on whiteboards here, the right size whiteboards. We don't have a whiteboard, but I wish we did. But just, just kind of pay attention here as, as we go. You, if you take notes, you can even do this on your, on your paper here, that you, on the top of your page, you put Jesus. Jesus, you're the highest voice in my life. But under that, under Jesus' voice, you can put your own personal experience, right? You can put your personal intelligence. You're an intelligent being. God made you in his image. You, you are, you, your voice matters, but it doesn't matter as much as the king's matters. You see that? It doesn't say don't listen to any other voices. It says just make Jesus the king, but exalt Jesus' voice to the, to the highest place in your life. You get some personal experiences that give, you, that give you some wisdom and intelligence. Don't ignore those, but just put Jesus' voice ahead of those. Don't, don't lean. Don't put all your eggs on your understanding, your intelligence, but instead lean on God's intelligence. And my wife's voice, I, I've learned after um, 12, th going on 13 years of marriage, right? If I got that right, I hope I did. <laughs> 12 going on 13, 13 in June. Um, I've learned, no? 13 going on 14? <laughs> 13 going on 14. I've learned to listen to the voice of my, see, I don't even argue. I don't even, see, I just, I just learned. You listen to the voice of your wife. Even then on the retreat, this was a better illustration than retreat illustration, but I'll give you both anyway. <laughs> On the retreat, we, we had planned. We had spent some, some time planning this last activity. We were, it was an escape room, and they had, the, the people had to uh, escape by doing a service. They had to put all the pieces of a service together. It was, that's where all those uh, videos came from for the announcement videos was from them escaping the, the, and doing a service. And we had planned to separate everybody, to get in groups of like eight or ten, because we thought bigger than eight or ten would be too much. But then everybody got together, and Tasha was like, no, change of plans. Or we're just doing two groups, and there's like 20 people in each, each group. I'm like, no, that's too much. And I... Tasha was right. It was good. It was, it was 20 people. It was, it was amazing. 
I've learned to listen to Tasha's voice, but Tasha's voice is second to the King of Kings. I've learned to trust in my instinct. I learned to trust in my wisdom. But it's secondary to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That God's voice reigns supreme in my life. As for me, we will serve the Lord. We're going to go after Jesus. He's the King. He's the Lord. Every other voice falls short of the Lord's glory. There's a difference between knowing and knowing like the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a difference between knowing two plus two and when to trust God and go all four. There's a difference between the King's voice and my voice. Do you understand? There's a difference between knowing and knowing like the King knows. Because God holds the world in his hands. He knows you like the back of your hand. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. Everything. He knows and he loves you. He's for you. But how often do we overlook this fact that God's voice reigns supreme in our life? The challenge today is to put God's voice first. Another personal understanding, wife's, uh, listening to the wife, you have human logic and common sense, and you have the voices of your extended family, you have your peers, you have your friends, you have your teachers, coaches, mentors, and below that you have the, your consultants and your advisors, your, the people that you just go to every now and then. And so you have all these voices. But Jesus' voice reigns supreme. What I want to tell you and emphasize here is Jesus is not your life coach. Jesus will give you information on life, but he's not your life coach. A life coach is way down here. Like way down here. They have a voice, but they're not the voice. But how often do we minimize God's voice and treat it as just another voice? Jesus is not your consultant or advisor. He consults you. He advises you. But he's not down at that level. He's up here. His voice matters. How often do we overlook the word of God and treat it as common, just one voice among many? God makes our paths straight when we exalt them to the highest place of our life. When we need a movement, church, it's one thing to have a quote. You're going to be average if you have a quote. But if you have a plan, if you have a system to make Jesus' voice the highest voice, you're going to win. You're going to, God's going to make your paths straight. We need a movement from overlooking to overcoming. We overcome, we win, we put Jesus' voice, his words at the top place in our life. And when Jesus or Jamie came and he shared with us, he says the exact words that the apostles wrote, the, the exact words Jesus said, the words in red, are the exact words that we have in our Bible. That means we know the very words of God. Every single one of us has access to the word of God. And think about what this means in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It tells us, this is in the past, in the Old Testament, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is in the past, God spoke through human beings, through prophets, through, through people, but, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Michael Koulianos, an evangelist, said, if you gave God a bullhorn, you guys know what a bullhorn is? You can shout a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things through a bullhorn that everybody, everybody hears. It says, if you gave God a bullhorn, he says he doesn't need it because his voice is like a thousand waters. But if you gave God a bullhorn and said, God, you have one sermon to tell the people and you just get one, what would God say? And he says, God wouldn't take 29 minutes like most pastors do because you can get a lot of things in, in 20 minutes. God would just use one sentence with that bullhorn. God would say to you, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That God has spoken to us through his son. That he's the exact representation 
of God. That if you want to know what God is speaking to you, pick up the words in red. That's the words that God is speaking to you. He says, be opened, right? Be, be op- let your ears, spiritual ears, be opened. He speaks to us. Maybe your list in the bottom looks different than mine. Maybe you have some other voices, but Jesus' voice is on the top. And what I've found in my life, what I've found in observing other people's life, is that when, when someone or myself puts Jesus' voice lower than the top place, we get ourselves in trouble. Or we have to repent. We have to do a 180. We have to turn around and say, God, you know what? I, I, I was wrong. God, I leaned on my own understanding. God, when I should have leaned on your understanding. God, I leaned on my consultant and said I should have listened to your voice, God. God, I listened to my peers and the peer pressure and said, God, I should have been listening to your voice. God, I listened to, to, to this man. I listened to this woman and I, I should have been listening to you, God. But instead I did that. I, I need to repent. I need to turn. I need, I need to change. When you change, when you repent, it's saying, God, you're, you're, you're number one again. God, God you're, you're, you're first in my life. You're exalted to the highest place in my life. And we say trouble, but really we don't really say trouble when we tell our people we say complicated. Because in our society, we like to cocoon ourselves from, from pain. We don't really get in trouble. We just say life gets complicated, right? When we take Jesus off his throne, when we take Jesus off the highest place in our life, life gets complicated. Life gets hard. Life gets messy, you might say. Like, like, it's because it's, it's we're not listening to Jesus. We're not listening to, to his voice in our life. But when Jesus is exalted to the highest place in our life, that's when we overcome. Not pretending like he's the highest voice in our life. We as Christians, we sometimes pretend. We're like, on Sunday, we're like, God, you are exalted. Lord, I exalt thee. But then on Monday, I exalt my work. I rely on my work. I trust in my fiance or my girlfriend or my wife. I, it's, we're, do you see what happened? On Sunday, we're like, I exalt you, God. And we pretend and on Monday we're, we're trusting all these other voices and we're not giving God the first seat. I didn't do that in the first service. You guys got blessed by, <laughs> by that. <laughs> but you see what I mean? We need to stop pretending. And we need to put Jesus as the first voice in our life, to trust the Lord, not lean on our own thing in all of our ways. Not just some of our ways. Not just some of our eggs in the Jesus basket and some in all these other baskets. No, we, put, we exalt the Lord in every place of our life. We listen to his voice and he makes our paths straight. He makes our paths blessed. He, we can live in a world that's very complicated, like Russia and Ukraine is a very complicated situation. Coronavirus is a very complicated situation. There's a lot of complicated things in life, but when we trust in the Lord, He makes our paths straight. David says it like this Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and I'm satisfied even though I'm surrounded by my enemies. Even though we're surrounded by complicated, God takes things that are complicated and makes them uncomplicated because we're trusting in the voice of the Lord. He knows things that we don't know. His wisdom is beyond ours. Psalm 46, 2 tells us, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of need. God does everything well. He's able to take complicated things, and even when we're, we're surrounded by complicated, even when we're surrounded by our enemies, even though we're surrounded by all these chaotic things, we're able to trust in the Lord. He's able to make 
our paths straight. I don't know how he does it. He's God. He just does it. And when we trust in him, he makes our paths straight. He blesses us. And even when we get ourselves in trouble, even when we've been singing the praises of someone else, even when we find ourselves in a complicated life, the way we get out of that complicated life is by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes our paths straight. We're never too far from God. We're never outside of his reach. He came to save us, church. He came to save you. He knew life was going to get complicated. He knew we were going to fall short of his glory. He knew that. He knew life was going to get in trouble. But he came to save us because he loves you. Church, that's the message that we need our ears open to. God loves you. He wants you to make him king because he loves you. His ways are the best ways for us. Therefore, though the earth give way, we will not fear. We will remain faithful because our past will remain straight. God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. God is our rock and we trust and we confide in and we rely upon. And it's interesting that this miracle is about opening the ears. And some, some of us need our ears open to the truth of God's word. We need our ears open to the truth of what God is trying to speak to us this morning. When your spiritual open, ears open and in tune to God's life-changing word that it would sink deep down into our hearts. We need to move past overlooking God's power, God's might, and God's authority, and God's wisdom, and start to move into overcoming. And we move into overcoming when we exalt God's voice to the highest place in our life. My prayer is that our spiritual ears be open to the reality of the truth that Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves you. He doesn't just love the world. He doesn't just love people in general. No, Jesus loves you. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. Jesus loves you. For God so loved you. For God so loved you. Even when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Even though we were far from God at one time, Christ loved you. Christ died for you. Christ gave you the victory because Jesus loves you.